Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, who I believe is heading out west to save the world from, again, a threat that they once already saved it from. Matt Rossi, how are you doing today? Um, not doing that. I thought you were playing through uh, Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, I am. I just wrote uh, a <laughs> breakfast topic they might even use tomorrow explaining how I am playing it, but I'm also playing other games to, to not play it too much. Um, I have this thing where I don't, I don't want to like, there's, there's games that I just binge that I jump into and just play, 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 play. And there's games where I don't want to do that. So I kind of play it like an hour or two and then I stop uh, and then I play something else. Yeah, and I, that's very much Horizon Forbidden West is very much that type of game. It is a game where I'm playing it very like an hour or two a day and then I stop. You know, this would actually be a good topic for our Tuesday show because I'm the same way. Like there are certain games that I need to bounce in and out of like the new Pokemon Arceus was one of them. I'm the same way with Horizon and like I need to bounce in and out. Otherwise, it will consume me for hours on end. But speaking mm -hmm. of things that consume me for hours on end, we're going to be talking about some lore today. Uh, oh, I thought we were going to talk about skin mites. Okay. Oh, you sure, uh, lore's fine. That'll be next episode. Uh, but for today, we're going to be talking about, again, another set of artifacts. Last week, we talked about the warrior artifacts, and I figured, well, it's my turn. So we're going to talk about shaman artifacts. Um, I promise I won't take up all of the time, and I will definitely get Rossi's opinion on this. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get started with it. Now, the Shaman Artifacts were a trio, technically five objects, uh, with the way that the flavor text works. Uh, Wouldn't it actually be six? Because every single one of them had an offhand. The Doomhammer, the offhand was just a manifestation of elemental power. It did not have yeah, a flavor text associated with it. Yeah, but still, it's still got a stat. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, but it didn't have a flavor uh, the Fury, text with the other It's ones. even a name, Fury of the Stone Mother. Mm, fair. So technically six. We'll go with that. Uh, but yeah, it's it was an interesting thing because prior to this, the only shaman item that had existed beforehand well, was the Doomhammer. And uh, the Doomhammer is one of the more iconic uh, weapons of Warcraft history. Uh, and it also, let's be honest, this is the first, it was only used by one shaman. Yeah, one Previous shaman people used ever. it weren't shamans. No, they were warriors. Uh, which is interesting because the forging of the Doomhammer actually did happen in the elemental lava on the homeworld of Draenor. So it was definitely tied to the elements in the way that a lot of orc things were. Uh, but this weapon, this truly awesome, powerful weapon, was the weapon of Ogren Doomhammer, as the name would suggest. Uh, one of the greatest orc warriors uh, that, you know, ever ever lived in their their sort of history of everything. What did you think when they revealed that this was going to be one of the shaman weapons? I thought they were bringing back two-handed enhancement. Me too, which was... And then they didn't, and I was like, aww. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to think of how to, how to start with this one. It was unexpected. There was a whole... It's tied up in a, a few things. One is the whole story of Thrall sort of losing his way, losing his uh, entire ability to be a shaman at this point, having his own identity crisis. Uh, then 
this winds up getting passed down to us, the champion, to carry on the legacy that he could no longer fulfill. And this is after he had carried it through the Third War. Uh, this is after he had carried it through uh, the saving of, of Azeroth multiple times alongside the, the heroes of Azeroth, countless battles, only to basically feel unworthy of it at the hands of crushing, well, his number ones, I, guess, I wouldn't even say student, uh, but after he took out Garrosh, he just, it wasn't his anymore. Right. Well, part of that was because of how he killed Garrosh. Which we, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. You want to do it? Go. Sure. So Garrosh, we, we, we've talked about a lot and, and this does tie in with the Doomhammer. Trust me. Uh, it, there's a legacy of sort of the orc war chiefs, right? And it, it is, goes all the way through with Doomhammer and, and, and everything else. These great warriors of mythic stature that are almost impossible to live up to. Garrosh was appointed as war chief of the Horde when Thrall decided he was done. Uh, and he sort of didn't really prepare Garrosh for this. Beforehand, Garrosh had been living in Outland, being brought up by, you know, the Makar orcs essentially there. And living in the shadow of the stories of his own father as well. And then when you have the events that unfolded after that living in going up to Northren, leading the, the the warriors of the Horde into the Northren campaign successfully, too, mind you, as a, a very br brilliant tactician in general. But he was never taught to lead. He was never taught to really how to people. He was taught how to general. He knew how to do things in a war setting. But the minute he was given sort of a presence that commanded something other than total warfare all the time, he was found wanting. This led to numerous atrocities, which we've covered multiple times, uh, in which ultimately he had to be taken down. We took him down. We took him captive. We didn't kill him. He was going to be standing trial until he was sprung. And what started the whole Warlords of Draenor campaign. Thrall comes back out of his retirement to help us subdue Garrosh. And in this moment, we track him through, find him. They have an epic battle in which Thrall uses the elements to crush Garrosh after he's already defeated. He's grasped. He's he's restrained. There's nothing more he can do. And the life is squeezed from him in that moment, in his defiant moments to the end by Thrall. And at that point, the elements decide that they're not going to answer his beck and call anymore. And so now Thrall has two legacies that he can no longer fulfill. The legacy of him being a shaman, the one that stood in uh, for the Earth Warder when we had to fight Deathwing and, and call upon the power of the Aspects. Thrall, who saved the, his remnants of the Orc people and helped them found what would become the new Horde. Uh, Thrall, who tried to, to get peace with Jaina and, and the Alliance as much as he could, uh, but failing that. Now he was no longer a shaman. He was no longer a spiritual leader of his people. And carrying the Doomhammer with him is a reminder of everything that he failed to live up to as well. Again, the Doomhammer is that icon. It's that piece of history that says a great orc wields this, a leader of our people, one that is always has the best of our people in mind. 
and then he just did this 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 atrocious event. He's no longer worthy of it. And so we kind of get it at this moment where it's almost tarnished a little bit. And it's kind of up to us as the player, as the champion, as as the leader of, in this case, the Earthen Ring, uh, to kind of go forth and redeem it, which is a weird thing. I don't how many of the other artifacts really had a redemption story sort of associated with them? Any of them? I mean, if you're looking at the Death Knight ones, uh, not really. Um, they're kind of all, they're kind of going for like, we don't really care if this thing is good or bad. We just care if we can kill things with it. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it would depend on how you look at it. I think you could say that the uh, the Stromkar one is sort of a redemption arc in that it's like got old god juice on it. But in general, I, and of course there's the the, like warlock artifacts, no. Um, the the shadow the shadow priest dagger is never redeemed. It is in fact gleefully evil the whole time. And then so, some. Yeah, I don't really think you know. Maybe maybe you can make a case for like the Ashbringer, but I don't think so. Yeah, which I, I don't. I, but I don't know. I don't know well enough to say. I know pretty much what all the artifacts are, but some of them I haven't really spent a lot of time studying. Like you could argue that Aluneth has issues but I don't think it's corrupted or anything like that. And to be fair, I mean, I feel like we're leaving a lot of the backstory of this thing out. Fill here. in any gaps you want to feel free. Well, I mean, first off you talked about Orgrim having it, but Orgrim was just the last of his line to have it. And in fact, when it was made, there was a prophecy that it would be carried by this bloodline. Uh, and it said, I'm going to read the one that I just looked up to make sure I had it right. Through blood the weapon shall pass, as surely as night begets day, until the elements cry unheard, and pride turns to unbridled rage. The last of the line shall deliver salvation and doom upon his kind. Honor will be undone, and all will be lost before it is found again. A stranger will will raise the hammer high, and with it justice shall reign. That's the prophecy that was delivered when the thing was made. And and everybody, every Doomhammer that carried it, that was kind of like thinking to themselves, okay, am I going to be the one who delivers salvation and doom? They were always that that was always over their shoulder. So when when Doomhammer like basically met his end, he realized it was him. He was the one that was going to be the last of his line. He kind of already knew because he didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't anybody else to take it up. He he died without without issue. He died when he died. Um, for people who don't know, Doomhammer basically was brought out of out of his like he he basically after the end of the Second War, he didn't get he got captured, but then he escaped, and he basically hid, thinking you know I I'm a failure. I'm I just I def- my people were were defeated because I wasn't a good enough leader. Uh, I lost, even though I thought I was winning. I, I, whatever I, when I did to win, because Doomhammer is the one who killed Andu and Lothar, and he and Lothar met. Um, it depends on how you like. I think they've basically gone with the you know they met in single combat thing. Previously, it had been you know if you played the Alliance side, it was said that Doomhammer and a group of his people ambushed Lothar and and you mm-hmm. know murdered him you know foully. I think the current lore is that they met pretty much in single combat 
but was Lothar Andrew, was already with, with uh, Lothar was already his wounded, blade, right? No, he didn't shatter his blade. Um, Lothar was wounded, but they met in single combat, and Lothar died, and he thought that would break them. He, you know, he did shatter the blade. You're right. He he broke the sword, and he the held it up. Wind, yeah, yeah, he held it up, thinking, you know. Look, I've I've defeated you. I've I've defeated your great warrior. Now you you'll all be demoralized. And instead, the humans went nuts. And the orcs had always looked down on humans. They as thought humans were weak. Yeah, yeah, humans were weak. Humans aren't as big as us. Not as strong as us. And in a moment, you know, uh, um, oh bloody heck, I can't say his name. All of a sudden, he's he's married to Laria Windrunner. Oh, uh, Terralian? Yeah, Terralian picked up the broken sword mm-hmm. and just went ham on the horde. And mm-hmm. all the humans all the humans of the army came up with him and just housed them. They just defeated them so badly that in the end, Doomhammer was on his knees before Terralian, who was going to cut his head off with the sword. And he, at the last second, managed to stop himself and said, no, you're not getting out of this. You're not getting out. You're not getting a clean death. You know, throw him in a cage. And so that's how the war ended. After everything that the orcs went through with, with the uh, the Legion and the Blood Curse and all of that, after they nearly took Lordaeron, they found themselves literally at the, on their knees at Blackrock Mountain and at the mercy of the humans. And he blamed himself. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's like, you know, Blackhand you know, whatever else he, he was, he, you know, this wouldn't have happened if he'd been war chief, which is ridiculous. Blackhand would never, he, Blackhand couldn't beat the, the Alliance in the first place before it was even the Alliance. The, the people of Stormwind were holding Blackhand off. He couldn't beat them. It was Doomhammer who beat them. Granted, he beat them through treachery, but he did beat them. At any rate, so he comes back because basically Thrall comes to him and says, you know, you're the great Doomhammer, right? You know, let's, why aren't you helping our people? They're in camps. And Doomhammer's like, all right, this, this young man, who's the son of my best friend, because, uh, that we probably should throw that in there too. Um, Thrall's father, Durton was, was Orgrim's best friend. Yep. The two of them met at a, at a, you know, meeting of the clans. And somehow, even though their clans weren't friends, they became super, like super tight. And both of their clans were okay with this because they're like, well, maybe it'll meet, it'll like lead to something good down the road. Maybe they'll end up as allies and our clans will get closer. And they were okay with it. And the two of them, if you go read, if you read anything, go read um, Rise of the Clan, Rise of the Horde, and you'll get to see some really cool interactions between Doomhammer and uh, Duraton. At that moment, he decided, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, you know, I'm gonna help this kid free our people. I'm gonna come back and be the war chief again, at least in terms of a, as a symbol. I'm not really gonna lead anything. I'm just gonna be there. And with me there in my armor, everyone knows that armor. Everybody knows the Doomhammer. Everybody knows me. So they'll see me, and it'll work. But he didn't really count on." actually getting killed. And that's what happened. At, they, after they freed quite a few of the, the internment camps, they, they broke the orcs out of quite a few of them. I think it was the last one before Thrall goes and tries to get Taratha out. Um, uh, it's Hammerfall. Yeah, at Hammerfall, mm-hmm. 
that's where Doomhammer died. Uh, he literally speared from behind by a human who was just like, you know, F this guy. And Thrall basically picks up the hammer and he's given the hammer by Doomhammer. Doomhammer's like, you know, which take is, it. Which is also part up. of the prophecy, if I remember right. I mm-hmm. think they went yeah. back and revised it. It will pass to one of not of not of the blood or, or something That's like that. That's the whole the stranger. A stranger will yeah. raise the hammer high. Yeah. Uh, and so when he takes it up, it's kind of like he's anointed in this moment. And that's why Thrall was war chief. You know, he, he basically takes up the mantle of war chief from Doomhammer and he takes up the Doomhammer itself. And it's, it's pretty amazing. It's an amazing thing he did. Uh, but as a result, when he fights Garrosh, I, I, I have a little bit of a difference of opinion with Joe here about what exactly happened. Sure. Because I'm just going to say it. Garrosh was winning. Oh no, 100% he was. Garrosh was kicking his butt. His he was losing. He didn't have him helpless and then kill him. The moment he called upon the elements to to grab Garrosh at all, that's when they turned their back on him because he forced them to do it. They that was that was uh, you know, they had started a Magora. That was a straight up Magora between the two of them and Thrall was losing it. And so he turned to the elements instead of continuing to fight as a warrior. He's the one that called it. Garrosh didn't call that Magora. Thrall did. Mm-hmm. And Thrall was losing it. So he turned to the elements and made them kill him. And that's the moment that they were like, well, you forced us to do this. We're not going to come to your, your call anymore. And keep in mind that like the elements at this point had just gotten done dealing with dark shaman on the rise. Like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something that they do not cotton to, and especially on Draenor, where spirit mm-hmm. is abundant, and the the elements of Draenor are are wild and powerful. They're that's and the, but they're that's not, they're wild thing. and powerful, but they're also not constantly at war with each other. Yeah, yeah. There, there's Azeroth has a much longer tradition of that kind of thing, whereas on on Draenor, it's it is unheard of. And that's the reason that the Cypher of Damnation is so terrible on Draenor. Mm-hmm. When, when it's used by Gul'dan, it's, it's considered a, a horror. Because they don't do that there. So that's that's a big part of it, of, of why the Doomhammer is... I, I don't agree that it's tarnished, because there's nothing wrong with the Doomhammer. No, but it's the iconography associated with Thrall that I think is really what it boils it's, down it's to. It's really, right? yeah, you could go with that. You have to keep in mind too that when Thrall got the Doomhammer, he changed it. He added the Frostwolf symbol to it. He did. The Doomhammer was the Doomhammer line was never a Frostwolf line. They were they were straight up Blackrock orcs, going back generations, generation after generation of the Doomhammer's users were Blackrock orcs. And when Thrall picked it up, he stuck the he stuck the Frostwolf symbol on it. He shortened the handle. Uh, the Doomhammer one-handed weapon, yeah, yeah. The Doomhammer in the hands of of Doomhammer himself or any of the previous users was a two-handed weapon, and he shortened it. Now that talks about how powerful Thrall is, because this is a hammer meant to be swung. The hammerhead is meant to be used on a haft for two two hands, and he was swinging it around with one. That's that's an impressive thing, but it is still he was making the hammer his. And as a result, when it wasn't his anymore, it needed somebody to come along and redefine what it was. 
So and now I'm going to shut up. So there's lots more to talk about, and I want Joe to talk. <laughs> there, there's a ton more to talk about as far as that goes, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it is, it is sort of I think one of the I think it might be the most important of the three shaman artifacts, and it's because of what it represents, not only just from the history of of it as well uh, itself, but the history of the horde. And that's the other interesting thing about this, because the way that the story unfolds, it's no longer a horde weapon. It's a champion weapon. It's a weapon of those that that serve the calling of uh, the, you know, the the breast of the shaman order hall. And so Thrall winds up losing his hammer down into deep home. We go and find it. We are made aware of the prophecy and then it is given to us. But it also sparks something in it when we grab it that we had never seen Thrall do. And this is what Rossi was alluding to a little bit earlier when we were talking about the the offhand weapon for it. So it is called the Fury of the Stone Mother, um, but it is a manifestation and literally uh, reading the flavor text for it created through the power of Doomhammer and the powerful shaman who wield it. It is literally a manifestation of your basically being gifted the blessing of the elementals as you, as you do. And it first comes out as a more stone based one, because that's what you start with. Um, but it has different flavors, essentially or different skins that you can load that recognize the blessing, whether it is fire, whether it is lightning, like all the, you can wield something that looks like the elements that are offensive. Uh, and then the entirety of the campaign on unlocking it is all about bringing it back to being uh, an icon of shamanism, which was never like its intended purpose originally, which was always fascinating to me. Like Matt pointed out, it was a warrior weapon. It was wielded by warriors until Thrall got his hands on it. And now in our hands, it's not just a horde weapon. Alliance players can wield it. Those shaman that, that call themselves loyal to the shaman hall can go and wield it because they are taking up the mantle of unifier and the doom hammer was always sort of a symbol of unification, regardless of who wielded it. The, 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 the perspective might've shifted on it, but it was always sort of that icon. And then it became something so much more. And I always thought that was an interesting choice, especially when so many other artifacts were just completely created from scratch to give players the doom hammer and to make it something that has been associated with the horde for at this point, 20 years across all the games and then giving it to Alliance players. And I know some horde players were very upset about that, but it made sense in a way. And at the end of it, you do exactly what you were set out to do. You fulfill the prophecy of the doom hammer. You bring justice. You bring as much equality as you can. You reforge uh, the elemental Lords uh, to basically bring balance back to the elementals, which was something that, you know, we killed Ragnaros, we killed a whole bunch of these these uh, elemental, like, high-powered figures and never did anything to replace them or try to get everything back on track. And then you do it throughout the events of the campaign. It becomes that symbol of unification, not just for Shaman, but also for the elements. And then when you're done, you take all of the poison out of, essentially, Sargeras's blade by adding to you the cause the Doomhammer's power, everything that you've wielded into it, everything you've done with it to help save Azeroth from whatever death was coming for it. So it it's an interesting 
fulfillment of an age-old prophecy for this item, and I always appreciated it. Anything to add before I move on to the next two? No, I think you got it. I mean, I do think there's interesting that there's the Zandalar champion uh, skin for it, which becomes the War Mace of Shivala, which is always fascinating to me because that's that's very much a troll weapon. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's there's there's a lot of interesting uh, things to the the, the Doomhammer legacy. The next two we're going to talk about are the Elemental Shaman artifacts, which is the Fist of Raden and the High Keeper's Ward. And I'm going to start by reading the flavor text for each of them and then kind of go into a little bit of context because, again, these were ones that were created brand new. So the Fist of Raden is to seal Alakir's demise. Master Ra slammed his fist into the mountaintop. The heavens split wide and all the fire and fury they contained crashed down atop the Wind Lord's head. And the High Keeper's Ward, Ra and Helia, crafted a shield, the High Keeper's Ward, to act as a key to the elemental plane. It thrummed with the energies of the four elements, which Ra could call upon whenever he desired. So Helia's tied up in these. And... We talked about this before when we talked about how the elementals on Azeroth uh, were waging war. Uh, then the the uh, old gods came, subjugated the elemental lords, and used them as generals and minions, essentially, to help fight in their own wars with each other. Until the titans came, fought back the Black Empire, and then Helia created the elemental prison planes where each of the elementals were locked away well she helped create she helped yes uh and to see that it was done with the assistance of Ra at this point because i think that's the first mention we had of Ra being involved in it as well as there actually being keys to the elemental planes we knew that they could be breached or that they could breach back into our plane that was always mentioned because we always had that problem i mean look at look at uh, everything that happened with the summoning of Ragnaros, which we covered in a previous episode, uh, how the elemental airplane is just kind of like chilling out there above the Tolvir lands. Uh, but here, this is an actual key or an item that was used to help seal those planes away. And it's given to the players. Now, the other thing that I thought was fascinating about this is the Fist of Raden uh, is empowered by essentially, in this case, Amonthul's power. Amonthul entrusted Highkeeper Rob with this artifact, which could channel all the fury of the storms. Ra actually used this to give life to the Titan Forged Mogu race. It was his primary weapon in the battle for, against the Black Empire. And then it was an August Celestial, I think it was Zuen, if I remember correctly, that was what found it after it had been lost for eons. And think about that for a minute. You are being given a Titan artifact that was used to breathe life into the Titan forged Bogu. Some of the smartest, evilest, or I guess totalitarian race that has existed on Azeroth. Devoted to their cause and service, but to a weird extent. We spent an entire expansion fighting against them their machinations and what they were trying to do. And then here in Legion, we get this, this item that is literally what crafted them. It's what helped imbue them with life. 
What do you think about the creation of these two items, Matt? Well, I mean, the ward is just a shield. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel that much about it. It's just, it's a shield because that's what, you know, elemental shaman would use in their offhand. Um, I like the, the idea that it's a key. I mean, that's a, that's a cool idea that it's, it is basically, <clears throat> I would almost say it's, it's a key and it's the lock. It's both of those things. And that's pretty cool. But it, the, the ward itself is relatively unimportant. That's made by Raden and Ra and hell yeah. I can't keep telling him Raden because Raden just means Master Ra. Uh, his, his name is Ra. Mm -hmm. But the uh, the Fist of Raden, that's a whole other story. Because as you mentioned already, it's, it's, the, it's Amenthal's power. And it was used while fighting the Black Empire. It was used to basically take out the Wind Lord. That, now, if imagine you've got a lightning channeling artifact so powerful that it takes out the Wind Lord. Alec here was the Wind Lord. He mm -hmm. was the top air elemental. Lightning was his plaything. And somebody comes along and goes, no, you think that's a lightning bolt? This is a lightning bolt. And and smites him down with it. That is astonishing levels of power. <clears throat> it's no wonder that an elemental shaman would use it. It's no wonder that elementals would respect it. Which is an because it we is. Didn't yet. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Once you get it, there's the area of the storm peaks that you can go to, and once you have it, if you are an elemental shaman and you wield this, the air elementals will not aggro you. They are neutral to you. They let you pass. And I remember seeing that for the first time and losing my mind. It was phenomenal. And it was one of those things where we talked about this before, where back in, in when I believe, I don't even remember what year it was, when you could first get your hands on the Ashbringer, if you went to the Scarlet Monastery, you were the Ashbringer. Oh yeah, two thousand six. Thank you. Because it was the end of the uh, the the World of Warcraft before Burning Crusade came out. It was the last patch before BC. So you could literally go there, and NPCs would react to you and treat you completely different. I don't mm -hmm. know another item that let you do that between that point and this. Not. I mean, that. several of the artifacts do that kind of thing, but this is one of them. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can please continue with it, but like it was just, it was just a no, fascinating I, thing. You got it. Go for it. And the other interesting thing that I think about this is how it was discovered. So part of the the quest text for it, when you go to unlock it, first of all, it's Rhaegar that finds where it is, and this is the Gladiator Rhaegar, the one that you know had Varian as part of his team, uh, or Logosh at the time. Specifically, it calls out that after the Pandaren campaign, after everything that happened in Mists of Pandaria, when we were going through the spoils beneath the Throne of Thunder, and there was a ton of treasure and stuff there, that the item was found, that the Fist of Raden was found, and it was given to Zuen, or that Zuen took it. This is one of those items that Garrosh didn't box up and was kind of on its own 
or at least got intercepted before he could kind of take it with the rest of the artifacts that he was taking. Uh, and you have to prove yourself in combat before you are allowed to wield it. You have to basically uh, go through essentially a gladiatorial combat, which I always thought was was weird, but sort of made sense because this is a a combat weapon. This is a weapon designed for warfare against extremely powerful creatures. But as you're doing this, Zuen is telling you about everything that happens. You know, it talks about how Helia and Highkeeper Ra created four elemental realms to imprison the wayward elemental lords. He embedded the key to these realms in his shield, the Highkeeper's Ward. Uh, when it came to war against the Black Empire, Highkeeper Ra created an army of stone to do his bidding. These were the Mogu. And they called their god Ra Den, or as Matt pointed out, Master Ra. With the Mogu ultimately proving to un- be Ra Den's undoing. But then you have this, this claw that now you can start wielding again. You can, you can, I don't want to say fulfill destiny, but you can now start battling back against, in this case, the Legion in probably the same way that Ra would have done had he not kind of disappeared and, and fallen into his sort of malaise as he did. But it was just interesting because before this was created, we knew that Ra did something, that we knew that the the prisons were created somehow, but we were never given an explanation as to why or how. And I believe this might have been one of the first times we really understood Helia because we had kind of seen her and heard of her, but not really. She'd only really been... Helia was first mentioned in Legion. She doesn't really get mentioned before this. Um, so it is the first time we were here about Helia. We hear about her assisting Raden in the creation of the elemental planes. And you, we hear about her relationship to Odin, where she's effectively like his daughter. She's not actually his daughter. She's just, he, he treats her like a daughter. Uh, she's at his side. She, she serves him. And then he betrays her to make her, you know, that's, that's over in the warrior class hall. But this is the, the reason that she was capable of, of banishing the vol- the halls of valor, the vols of Haller, um, the halls of valor to another dimension essentially is that she made that dimension to, to, to do so. And it's using the secrets that she learned while working with Raden to create the elemental planes. The elemental planes are exactly the same. They're a, a prison dimension created by Helia. Um, so it's a similar thing. Uh, it, it's all, it's all really interesting, but the interesting thing about this, too, is you didn't even mention that you have to beat up Chen Stormstout to get this thing. Yeah, not just Chen, but Chen and Lili. Yeah. Because they are also going for it. But please, go for it. No, that's that's all, that's just, that's all I'm going to mention. I never got the the the, the uh, Fist of Rada, and I didn't play Elemental that expansion. Uh, so I never bothered. So Yeah, but it was just, it's one of those things where it's interesting to see them start to fill in some of the gaps of lore, because we start to see this trend with not just the shaman weapons, but a lot of the artifacts start filling in a lot of the blank spaces. Mm -hmm. And as you start to unravel it, you start to understand more about what happened with Ra, the actual like length of power with it. And then you use it in much the same way that he did when he, you know, helped lock away the elemental Lords. When you lock away the power of Sargeras's blade. And I just found that fascinating. And it's always an interesting 
uh, interesting thing to sort of bring it all all together, tie it all together. Anything to add about that before we move on to uh, the last piece of the Shaman Artifacts? No, I think we should talk about Sharastal, because I think it's yep. one of the better ones to talk about. So let's move to that. So Sharastal, otherwise known as the Scepter of Tides and uh, its accompaniment, the Shield of the Sea Queen, um, were essentially scepters that were in employ to Queen Ajara. They, it was created by Queen Ajara herself, and this was before her transformation into a Naga. Uh, it is filled with water from the well of eternity prior to the corruption. And it grants the the particular power of that sort of healing water to this artifact. Now, this is an interesting thing because shaman have always used the element of water as sort of the healing medium. Everything for as long as we can remember has really revolved around that. That's the idea. And if you look at the spell selection that we have, that's very much the case between healing rain, the way that chain heal now currently looks, which is something we asked for for years with the watery effects, the watery spell casting, riptide, all those things. Every single bit of it is using the elemental essence of water to heal and make whole again. So the Scepter of Ajara having waters from the Well of Eternity, which we now know is kind of Titan blood, uh, is sort of a big thing. Now, the Scepter was said to have been lost during the War of the Ancients just before Ajara and her followers suffered the horrific cataclysm uh, of being swallowed up by the sea. Uh, And it was taken by surviving night elves who knew nothing of the power that it held inside of it because, again, Ajara didn't exactly tell everybody what she was doing all of the time and not, didn't exactly say, hey, look at my powerful magical artifacts. Isn't this cool? Uh, and then basically just gave it to, I believe it was a priestess, uh, that a priestess of Elune that wound up wielding it and also being buried with it. Uh, so, like, it just kind of disappeared for a very long time. And I always thought that was it was an interesting pull because, again, something that never existed before, but also something tied so heavily to Queen Ajara, who, again, at this point, we've seen in little glips and and pieces and and sort of like backflashes of of, uh, events. I believe in the old quest, she was always like a shadowy figure at best uh, whenever anything was referred to her. We just knew that she was the queen of elves, essentially she was in charge of everything and she was powerful, wicked, powerful, even, even then. So what did you think when they first announced these or this particular item and having its ties to queen Ashara? It does feel a little bit like you should probably have elf shamans at this point. I would agree. Because I mean, it's it's this big shaman weapon. It was made by Ashara. It, like, shouldn't this be usable by elves? I mean, it isn't. There are no elf shamans, and no none of the, any of the elves are currently playable in World of Warcraft can be shamans. So that's just weird. I mean, was Ashara a shaman? I don't know that I'd say that, but certainly she was very powerful magically. If you're gonna make this a shaman weapon, you feel like you should make elves capable of shamanism but regardless that was the first thing i thought of when i when i heard about it the other thing i thought about though was 
there's actually a weapon called the Scepter of Ashara. Yes, there is. It's it's a it's just a regular old epic weapon. It's not an artifact. Uh, I honestly think they should have just called this the Scepter uh, of Ashara. They they should have just said that this is the because clearly she lost this. Yeah, this could have been the true one. Right? <clears throat> yeah, like she might have replaced it with just some any old scepter just so she could keep doing magic. You do find yourself wondering though, how did she lose this? We still don't know. We don't yeah. know what happened. Why is this thing missing? Why doesn't didn't she have it? Uh, that's an interesting thing to think about. Even after all the stuff you do in Legion, you don't find out how she lost the scepter. Um, and that to me is fascinating. Because uh, we also know she lost a Tidestone. She did. And the Tidestone ended up in Azuna too. So... Was it because they did did Prince whatever his name is? I can never remember his bloody name. But did he steal it? Like, you know, did she did it stop working for her when she started like getting really seriously into the Legion's sway? Um or did and for she that matter, it? Did she abandon it? Yeah, that's another possibility. Why would she do that? It's obviously extremely powerful. Why would she abandon it? It is we you know we talk a lot about the, the negative aspects of Ashara as a person, you know, her, her greed, her, her vanity, but we don't know what Ashara was like as a child. We knew, we know one thing about her. She was born with golden eyes, mm-hmm. which is a which sign of is, prophecy, right? It's a sign of prophecy. It's the big deal that Zera is always making about Illidan was that he was born with them. That marked him as a champion of the light. Was Ishara another possible champion of the light who was corrupted? Possibly just corrupted by being given everything she wanted from the moment she was born. And her, like when you were talking about how powerful she was, she was powerful enough that like Manoroth didn't think he could take her and wasn't entirely sure that at our command or Kill Jaden could take her either. Like he he knew he was pretty sure Sargeras could do it, but keep in mind: imagine you you there's a mortal a mortal wielder of magic who is so powerful that the only person you're willing to say could absolutely take her out in a fight is your god. What happened? Like where? How did we get from? Whatever she was like, we, we do not know her life. We only know the end of it. We only know that she she reigned as absolute monarch over her people for untold centuries. And keep in mind, this was before they made a deal to become immortal. This was before the, the, the you know the world trees were created. This was before the aspects made a deal with the, with the the then night elves to become immortal guardians. Yeah, and she lived for countless centuries and she was you know astonishingly powerful at the end when, when when we see her in the war of the ancients she's so powerful that she can she can think that sargaris would make a good husband and it doesn't seem entirely insane like so, it's it's mostly insane but it's not completely because who else is going to marry her you know she seriously like she's saying things like that and her, her people are like yeah it's it's a fair cop. No one's worthy of you. 
astonishingly powerful. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff about Ashara. Was there a point where she, when she made this that she because this is a healing item? Well, there's another aspect to it that I think is is often overlooked as well, which is that it's not just a healing item. It literally it was said to command the rivers and oceans like it had command over water in a very specific way. And so was this something that she used to, uh, for lack of a better term, cause people to have good crops or to cause droughts when somebody wasn't necessarily worshiping her the well, well enough. Another thing that I started thinking about when this item was was revealed and we started understanding a little bit more about the story behind it and the fact that it was tied to Ajara, because everything that you just said flashed through my head. If she's so powerful, how could she have possibly have lost this? Was it stolen from her? There's another possibility, and I don't know how likely it is, but I'm going to throw it out there. And this is something that's been kind of eating at me for a while. What if it was intentional? It carries uncorrupted water from the well of eternity. What if she crafted a magic item specifically to keep that particular portion of it safe? as a backup for whatever she knew was coming. Cause that's the other thing about Queen Ashara. She plays the long game. We're talking, she thinks in thousands of years and we never understood one, the true apex of her power and what she was capable of doing. We do know that at this particular point in time, especially as we move through Legion, there are elves that can see through time using magic. Their chronomancy is a thing. And it is something apparently that the high elves knew or at least knew of. Could she have a gift similar to Velen's, maybe not from the same source, but could she potentially see things that might come to pass? Is that what made her so good at her planning? Is that what allowed her to survive? Maybe she didn't see everything because very clearly she didn't see the end of her people or the waters coming to swallow them whole, but she was sure powerful enough to keep that wall of water up for a very long time. Here's the thing though. We just got done talking about how she lost this before that happened. Mm -hmm. What's the flavor text on the mace say? They drifted into the abyss, but Ajara and her night and her highborn remained unbroken. The darkness around them was absolute, so the queen willed Sharastal to bring them light. So she had it, if that's the or be did she? Because we know you're talking about chronomancy, right? Mm-hmm. The war of the ancients that we know of, that we've experienced, that that we've you know even saw repeated in Legion is not the War of the Ancients. It's the altered War of the Ancients. If, oh, there's one true, if there's one true timeline, and it must be preserved, it's not the one we live in. That one's been altered. That one's been changed. There were two Crassuses in it. There was Ronin in it. Ronin suddenly, who showed Illidan magic from the future mm -hmm. and possibly changed the entire direction of his life. 
we knew that the War of Ancients happened before those books, because in Warcraft 3 it's mentioned. We know that basically the same stuff that we know about happened because Illidan got locked up in a barrow for, you know, millennia, that Ashara was still Queen of the Naga. But we don't know how it would have differed from what did happen before. We don't know, did she have Sharas Dahl with her when she went into the dark before? And then she didn't after, because that's one of the changes. And why would it have changed? There's a lot to the War of the Ancients we've never really thought about. You're talking about time magic. Is that possibly why the walls collapsed on her? Maybe. She could no longer command the waters. And the and the Nightborn had the artifact that allows you to to look at time. Uh-huh. The 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 uh very powerful eye of the High Father that they used to create the Nightwell. Did they originally not have that? Because Surmar was as far as everyone knew, Surmar was destroyed. Was it in fact originally destroyed? Did they do something? During the period of time where there were strangers in the future, did they realize this is our moment? We can we can change this and preserve Suramar because Elisanda that she's willing to mess around with time. Oh yeah, no, one hundred percent. So there's there's a lot of potential here. I, I think if Elisanda learned her, ma- if Elisanda learned time magic from you know her, for lack of a better word, her master, Ashara. Did she use that artifact because there was a moment where she could she could separate the queen from her control of water, thus preventing her from dragging Suramar down with yeah. her? You know, you know there, there's, that's just one of many possibilities here, but it's something to think about. There, there's so many things that could possibly be the case here, and I find that it's one of the more enigmatic things because, as Matt pointed out, we never get to know the true story about it. And Ashara definitely knows what happened, at least to a certain extent, because every time we've interacted with her throughout battle for Azeroth and Legion, she knows what's up. She understands what's coming, what's happening. Hey, go back to cataclysm. Yeah. She, she's, she, Again, I mentioned that she plays the long game. So I'm wondering how much she knew was going to come to pass. Cause like what was happening during Legion, she was being she was being an opportunistic. Trying to get the Tidestone, trying to get it back, trying to do all these things. But I always started wondering, and I and I'm not saying that Azara is a good a good guy. I'm never going to claim that. But what if you can't rule a world if the world no longer exists. And a lot of times, and this is something that a lot of bad guys in literature will do or bad folks, they will help the good person, the good guy out to save the world because you can't be the ruler of nothing. I've been playing a a lot of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. uh, So I'm going to quote a line here. Tribute does not flow from a dead race. Mm-hmm. If the world is destroyed, you know, that's where I keep all my stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's I a mean, Lex Luthor thing all over again, right? Yeah, exactly. How, how many it, times has Lex Luthor saved the universe with the good guys, but he's not a hero? 
No, but he doesn't want the universe destroyed. Uh, when when he and during Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Lex Luthor and Brainiac were going to take over uh, at least three of the five remaining universes, when the Spectre comes along and says, "Morons, if you don't stop fighting, we're all going to die." The two of the, the two super geniuses are like, "Well, if we die, then we can't rule anything." So yeah, okay. There's Ashara is nothing if not patient, and as we saw. She intended to kill um, her Nazoth. She straight up intended to kill him. Oh, yeah. That was her goal. And when she couldn't do it herself, she was more than happy to delegate that to us. After we freed her from Nihilotha, she was like, yeah, go ahead and have fun. Here it is. Stab away. Um, She thinks she thinks in, in not just in terms of like the long game, but it's like dealing with Ashara is like playing chess with somebody who is not playing chess. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the game she is playing is like, it's like chess expanded out into seven dimensions. She's over here. You know, it, it's very much a Xanatos Gambit type thing where she's straight up. Her plans require you to be interfering with her plans. That's what she's going for. She wants you to do that by all means do that. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't just have a plan. She's got a plan that involves you thinking you know what her plan is. Yep. So that you'll do something to foil it, thus moving everybody along further onto the plan she actually wants to happen. So yeah, it's it is interesting to think about, but we don't know. And I don't know if we ever will. And I the interesting thing of ta- talking about this is all I can think about is we have not seen or heard the last of Ejara. Because even at the end of this, even when we are given the scepter of power, even when we make our way through the entirety of Legion, defeat Sargeras, and then go forth and help, like, take the the, the power out of the sword with it, we've accomplished something infinitesimally small in the grand scheme of things. But she walks away from it. And she walks away from it not broken, not defeated. Literally, she walks out of the Nazoth Black Empire like fever dream prison with her head held high. She doesn't thank us. She just moves on to the next stage of her plan. And we still have no idea what that is. And it's in that moment, you get exact shades of what happens when we go through the caverns of time. When we go back to the War of the Ancients and see that modified version of it. It's the same reaction. We don't matter, but we did exactly what she expected us to do. We completed our part of her plan. And Sharastal is a reminder of this item that shouldn't be, in my opinion, a shaman weapon. But somehow found its way into the shaman order hall. That somehow brought back Neptalon that helped tie the elementals back together and stitch back together the fabric of the elementals so that life on Azeroth would at least be somewhat more stable. Was that her plan all along or is she just taking advantage of whatever the opportunity is at that particular moment? We don't know. Anything else to add there? No, I think we're good. All right. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Folks, as a reminder, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to your generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. 
Your continued support means that this podcast site and community are able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, I'm going to change it up a little bit right now because I think it bears saying we do support the folks at, at employees at, at Activision Blizzard for doing what they're doing. But the world right now is a very scary place. There are a lot of very bad things happening to people who never asked for it. If you are capable of checking in on people and seeing if they're okay, I'm going to employ you to do so. Lend your support where you can. And if you can't and you need to turn it off for a while, that's okay too. Making sure that you are safe is always acceptable. But this is my reminder to those of you that listen to us across the world. The only way that we can be better is if we rise up together and find a way to be better together. Let's hope for a better tomorrow. And with that, we'll see you next week. <laughs>